So the, the imagery that we've been using and that we'll use throughout the series is the imagery of an iceberg. That 10% is on top, and that's what everybody gets to see. They get to see the happy, chipper self. They get to see who you are on top. But underneath the surface, there are many other things that are at play. There are things that we get angry about that we don't express. There are things that we're happy about that we don't express. There are hidden places in every one of our hearts uh, that we have not yet quite exposed to God, maybe because we've willingly hid them, or because we just didn't know any better, and we didn't expose them and say, God, here's the key to that room. And so we want to talk about going below the surface. And in doing so, last week we looked at Saul, who um, I think is one of the most un- unhealthy emotionally uh, characters in the Bible. He's the, he's the character in the Bible that will cause you to think, wow, I never want to be like Saul. On the other side, today we're going to be talking about David. And if you know anything about David besides that he was a shepherd and he came, became a king, he also is known in scripture as a man after God's own heart. That's the guy we want to be like. He's the one who's emotionally and spiritually healthy. So I want to start today's message by telling you something that I think is, um, well, I know to be a fact as well as to be in scripture. All throughout scripture, the principle is this, with God, nothing is impossible. With us, we have limitations. We have things, we have issues, we have stuff that we have hurdles, we have obstacles that we cannot overcome. But with God, all things are possible. And with God being all things are possible, that means that we who have limitations must be seeking his help to get through this life. Because this life has a lot of things which seem and are impossible to each one of us. But God, with him, with his help, with his grace, with his guidance, with his love, all things are possible. In fact, Paul says this in the Ephesian, in the letter to the Ephesian church. He says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength or who strengthens me. And so we have that confidence to be able to say, I can do all things because all things are possible now with me because of whose team I'm on, whose side I'm on. Um, so today we're going to look at the biblical character of David. I want to say that I believe him to be, David, to be a great example of someone who was God-aware and self-aware. We've talked about that, and I, I make sure I give that precursor. I'm not a therapist. I'm not licensed to give any major counseling or anything like that. At the same time, I realize and recognize in Scripture that those who were emotionally healthy and spiritually healthy were those who were honest with themselves, So David was honest with himself. While Saul hid himself from himself and sometimes had so much turmoil going on inside of him, David, albeit introspective, maybe sitting underneath a tree watching the sheep, he's talking to God, expressing his feelings. When Nathan, the prophet Nathan, comes to David and says, let me tell you a story about a man who sinned against God. And David says, man, off with his head. I'm going to kill him. Let me at him. And Nathan says, you're the guy in the story. David repents. He turns his heart back to God. In the midst of some of the largest sins that we could name in Scripture, this is it. And David is still considered a man after God's own heart. And it's because of his approach to God that he's considered a man after God's own heart. So you can be a woman after God's own heart. You can be a man after God's own heart if you take the same approach. But we cannot be honest. I I really don't think that we can be honest with God. God, if we're not honest or willing to be honest with ourselves. 
we look in the mirror and we don't see some of the faults maybe that other people see in us. We like to hide or disguise some of those things, but we can't do that with God. Adam and Eve tried it. (laughs) They tried it in the garden. They sinned and they had an issue. They disconnected their relationship, not only with God, but it had ramifications with themselves together as a couple and even inside of themselves as individuals. And then they thought, well, we can fix this with some fig leaves. We'll just sew some stuff together and we'll make it look good. There's a spiritual application to this for each one of us. Sometimes we we think we might be able to just stitch it together and make it look good. But below the surface, something else is going on. And God really wants access to that place. I feel like that was the the imagery of the lesson last week, the, the, the message last week, was that God wants access to each place inside of us. So go with me in your Bibles, if you will, to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We don't have the, the, the uh, verses on the screen today, but uh, follow along in your own Bible, in your own version. In chapter 17, um, I, we're going to look at the story of David and Goliath. There are people, even in the business world, who aren't Christians or believers, that they talk about this word Goliath. They know the principle, the the imagery of a giant, something that's insurmountable, something that's in their way that they can't overcome. And so we're going to look at the story of David and Goliath. But let me give you a little bit of context in the story. So don't start reading yet. You can keep your eyes up here, focus for a minute. 1 Samuel chapter 16, just a chapter before where we start, David gets anointed king. But it's really interesting. He gets anointed king, but it's not like a coronation day for a king or a queen, like, okay, you're the king, now go sit on the throne. This was a prophetic act that the the prophet Samuel was doing to David, and he was saying, God is choosing you as the next king. But there's a large space of time between that moment where God has destined him and purposed him for that, and the moment that he actually comes to be on the throne. So in chapter 16, we see that David gets anointed to be king. We also see, I referenced it last week, that Saul, the Bible says, he receives a distressing spirit from the Lord. The Lord has been disfavored, or Saul has found disfavor and fallen out of favor with God, and God has allowed a distressing, some versions say, spirit to haunt Saul. So now Saul, having emotional turmoil, having all of these things going on, also having oppression from the outside in, he says, I've got to fix this. I need a therapist. (laughs) Somebody get me a therapist. So he hires this young boy named David, who he hears plays the harp really well. Well, every time David sits down to play the harp, when Saul is being angered and he's got all this turmoil inside of him, all of a sudden he starts to calm down and settle down and smooth out and even out. So he begins this relationship with David, and he asks David's father, he says, hey, can David come live with me? I need him to be here. It's important for him to be in the king's service. So all of this stuff is happening in chapter 16. So he'd have him play, he would soothe the spirit of Saul, and then on his weekends or his holidays, he would go back home to his father, and the Bible says he'd still tend the sheep of his father. It's on one of these trips back home that his dad says, hey, when you go back to visit your brothers on the front lines of this battle they're about to have with the Philistines, take this food, take these supplies, and take it with them and go. 
Okay, so in chapter 17, a battle is about to happen between the Israelites and the Philistines. Really interesting, if you do a little bit of study about the, um, it seems like they're enemies or arch enemies throughout the entirety of scripture. Um, it also, when I did a little bit of further study, the Philistines are the, the people who came after those who were kicked out of the promised land. So they're related. So they're, they're carrying a chip on their shoulder. They're carrying some bitterness and some angst towards the people of God. They've got a lot of uh, competition in that relationship. So here comes in verse 4, chapter 17, it says this, And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath. So before you go all the way through the story, if you've been in Sunday school and you know the story and you're like, yep, I can see David with the sling and the stone. I know he got him with one shot, cuts off his head. Before you get there, slow down with me. Let's talk about this. They call Goliath a champion. Why else would the word of God, which is always true, call someone a champion if he wasn't a champion? He was a champion. He had murdered hundreds, maybe thousands, single-handedly. He was a warrior. The Bible tells us that he was abnormally large, that he was considered a giant. He even had a shield bearer that carried his shield out. There's all types of measurements in 1 Samuel 17 that you can read at some other time, where it talks about how much his armor weighed and how much all of this was. So this guy is gargantuan. He's bigger than life, larger than life. And he comes out as a champion to taunt the Israelite people. Verse 8, if you'll jump there with me, verse 8 through 11, let's read. It says this in the New King James Version. Then Goliath stood and he cried out to the armies of Israel and he said to them, why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And so the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words, the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed, they were terrified. So here, Goliath is issuing this challenge. Have you ever met someone who's always looking for a fight? <laughs> this is Goliath. Goliath is looking for a fight. Send somebody out here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to smash him to bits. Send him out here, and I'm going to prove. And in so doing, this arrangement was, if I beat him, then y'all have to come work for us and be our slaves. And if you guys beat us on the off chance, we'll come and be your slaves. Well, I don't believe him for a minute. The Bible tells us that Goliath, though, was a formidable enemy. He was large, and he was a champion, the scripture says. It describes his height. Some scholars say that he would have been over nine feet tall. Some say maybe he was a little bit shorter, but the average height of the man that in those days was a little bit smaller, so he would have still been head and shoulders above all of the rest. He was taunting the Israelite army, and they were deathly afraid. It says they were dismayed and terrified. And here comes David, the shepherd boy. He's returning, like I said, and he's bringing some food to his brothers on the front lines. He returns to Saul's service, and David hears the taunts of Goliath. He hears the taunts of Goliath, and if you understand the story, Goliath has been coming out day after day, morning and evening, saying, Give me a man that I can fight! 
So he's been taunting and taunting and taunting, hurling insults and continuing. David hears these words and he says this, Who is this Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Verse 32, jump there quickly. Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Okay, get the imagery of this picture. David, the youngest of eight brothers, the shepherd of the sheep, the errand boy, the harpist, okay, <laughs> is coming with some kind of confidence that's otherworldly, okay? And he, that literally, it's supernatural. And he said, who is this guy who's coming to taunt the enemy, the, the army of God? Who is this enemy? And he tells the king in this brazen confidence, he tells the king, don't let any man's heart fail because of this joker. I'll take care of him. I don't know if you've ever faced a Goliath in your own life. I, I feel like I've faced some things that have been larger than life to me. And I don't feel like I've stood in the confidence of David. I feel like I've failed at times to stand in the confidence of David. He was courageous in this moment. He was, I, I kind of wonder if he's like, what did I just say? <laughs> you know, like if he's like, oh my goodness, what just came out of my mouth? But he was confident, not in himself alone but in the God that he served. He wasn't saying, he wasn't being cocky. He wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't coming in his own strength and saying, I'm going to take care of this guy, just me, myself, and I. He was coming in the confidence and in the strength of the Lord, like we sang about earlier. So David goes out to confront Goliath with a sling and a few stones, and with God's help, he deals a fatal blow to Goliath. He takes a rock out of his pouch, takes an old slingshot. It's a sling, just a, a ribbon essentially with a little pocket on it to hold the rock. He hurls that thing up to Goliath, hits him square in the forehead, the Bible says. Goliath falls flat on his face and David goes over to him, stands on top of him, having not had any armor on or carried any other weapon with him besides a sling and a few stones. He takes Goliath's own sword in the strength of the Lord, and decapitates Goliath. And you're like, wow, how does this fit into being emotionally healthy? He decapitated the guy. Yes, he did. He took off his head because this is, and we'll read it in just a minute, but he tells Goliath exactly what he's going to do because Goliath's been taunting them, saying, I'm going to feed you to the birds. And here comes David, and David says, no, it's the other way around, man. I've got something working for me that you don't know about. And it's the almighty God. It's the God of the heavens and the earth. The God of all armies. This is him. So how does the story of David and Goliath, how does it fit into us being emotionally and spiritually healthy? I want to I talk about three obstacles that David faced that help us today understand the obstacles that we face as well. The obstacles that we can overcome and we must overcome if we're going to be emotionally and spiritually healthy. The first obstacle that David faced was his own family. He was the runt of the litter. He was the youngest, the smallest. In fact, in chapter 16, it's really funny when Samuel's going. Samuel doesn't really know the name of him yet, but Samuel says, I, God told me come to this house. So Jesse, Papa Jesse, daddy, he lines up all his boys forgetting totally about David who's out in the field with the sheep. 
And, and Samuel goes down the line and he's like, no, no, no. Do, do you have another son? Because I'm sure God told me to come here. And he says, yeah, but I mean, he's out with the sheep. You, you don't want that guy. You, you want the oldest, the tallest, the brawniest, the guy who's handled life all these years, who knows what he's doing. And Samuel said, no, I, I want that guy. I think he's the guy. So when David comes in, so understand his, that, that, that place of him struggling with the understanding of his family even being able to have confidence in him. Every one of us, this is really, really important stuff this morning. Every one of us, every one of us comes into life in a family. Okay, it's really simple. And every family is dysfunctional. Some a lot more than others. But every family has quirks. Every family has kinks. Every family has baggage. Every family has issues. Every family does. Everyone. And this does not exclude David's family. So they, they had some issues. They treated him with disrespect. And, and verse 28, if you want to read that, it says about his older brother, 28 and 29, it says this. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men when he was at the battlefield. And he, Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few little sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you've come down just to see the battle. This is the kind of treatment he was getting from his brother. Verse 29 says, David goes, what have I done now? Just like the younger brother. <laughs> what have I done now? What, what's going on? And here his brother Eliab is saying, you've come down just to witness the blood and the gore. You're just a bystander. You're useless. You're nothing. Talk about dysfunction in a family. You're a nobody. Just go home. Thanks for the bread. (laughs) See you later, buddy. So our families, even the best of them, are dysfunctional to some degree. And oftentimes it's those that we love and those who love us who cause us the greatest grief. Would you agree with that? That sometimes it's those who we love and who love us the most and the deepest that sometimes we find ourselves conflicted with that relationship. Well, the same thing was true with David. So David has to overcome the obstacle of his family's perceptions and preconceived ideas of himself. There are a lot of... witnesses to this in scripture if you look at the story of joshua and i won't go off the the page too much but if you look at the story of uh joshua or you look at the story of uh jacob or you look at the fathers of our faith you look at joseph who was sold into slavery by his brothers david had a reason to have bitterness towards his brother he had every right in the human side to say, you've offended me, you've said I was something I'm not, you've accused me of something falsely, and he could have harbored and held that bitterness. I want to tell you today, I want to stop for just a minute, and I want to encourage you, whatever your family background has been, you say, well, I'm, I'm old, I've got my own family now, I'm, I'm much older than that, I'm not a kid, I'm, I'm, I'm past that point. Whatever your upbringing was, don't hold it against those who did those things against you. What they did was wrong. What they did was not okay. If there was betrayal, if there was hurt. But I want to encourage you in the spirit of God today to not allow any root of bitterness to be formed inside of your heart for those offenses. Because family, those offenses can hurt the deepest. 
And we can carry them for a very long time if we don't have God's help. So the second obstacle that he faces, that he has to overcome, is others' view of him. So it's not just his close-knit family, but it's also others' view of him. In fact, the view of him from Saul, the king, the person who had authority, the person who was over him, his boss didn't trust, didn't believe, didn't see his potential. So verse 32 and 33, I know we're jumping around in the chapter, but I'm, I'm trying to give you the context of everything without reading every verse. Verse 32 and 33 says this, Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul says to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You're a youth or a teenager, and he has been a man of war since he was a teenager. So Saul is saying, you're not able to do this. You're just a little guy, and he's a much bigger guy who's been doing this a lot longer. You cannot overcome this. Well, David needed to overcome the obstacle of Saul's opinion of him. And I think for the longest time, people in this day and age and every generation before us and everyone after us deals with the baggage of what others people, other people view them as. You can get into bondage thinking about what they are worried about, what they think about, what they are looking at you. I was talking to someone recently who said that um, back in their younger years, they weren't as confident as they are now. Um, how many of you agree? <laughs> you learn a lot in life, right? You gain some confidence and all that kind of stuff. But they were saying that they kind of felt like they were maybe bound by lack of confidence in early years, and they're glad that God has set them free from that. But it, it had to do with people's perception of them. It had to do with them being embarrassed or feeling like other people were looking at them. So here David has to overcome the obstacle of Saul's opinion of him, who says, you know what? You don't matter for anything. You're, you're a good harpist, buddy, but don't go out on the battlefield. You're not able to do this. So maybe, maybe the Goliath in the story is not really named Goliath. Maybe it's Eliab, his older brother. It's also Saul who was a giant in his life that needed to be overcome. So the same thing is true of us. And you say, well, pastor, you know, I'm just living life. I got a good job, got a family. Everything is hunky-dory. But below the surface, there are obstacles that we face that maybe we've pushed aside. We haven't agreed to let the Lord deal with. Or maybe we've denied them and put them away and said, you know, that doesn't really bother me. What she did to me or what he did to me, that, I, that's gone. That's a long time ago. But then somehow there's still that, ache inside of us below the surface and god wants to heal he i, I want to tell you this he wants to transform and bring new life into that dead place inside of each one of us so the israelites are fearful they are saying they believe in god but they're acting like atheists okay? they're acting like they don't they're trembling in fear when he's hurling the insults they're living by fear and they're not living by faith so there's something that's been said in Christendom for a really long time. You know, we live by faith, not by sight. Based on a scripture, based on our understanding of scripture, there's that phrasing that we live by faith, not by sight. But I want to tell you, we ought to be living by faith and not by fear. Because what you see with your eyes can convince you to be afraid. 
All of these guys are shuddering behind the tents of the battlefield. You got to see the context. The Philistines on one side of the hill, David and the Israelite army with Saul on the other side of the hill, a big valley in between them. They're kind of eyeball to eyeball, but far away. And they are scared out of their mind because they haven't trusted in God. They don't believe that he's coming through. And so David, being the lone, lone warrior, says, I believe that God will come through. But we ought to live by faith and not by fear. Over and over in scripture, God says to his people, do not be afraid. It's been said that that phrase appears 365 times in scripture. One for every day that we face. God doesn't want you to live in fear. He doesn't want you to live in fear of whatever Goliath you face, whether it's the opinion of your family, the opinion of somebody like a coworker, whether it's something internally that you are facing that is a Goliath. He doesn't want you to live in fear. He wants you to just trust him. He wants to give you freedom because freedom comes when we have faith. Freedom comes because of our faith in God. That's where freedom lies. And we can't get there to that access of that freedom to be unshackled and have our shackles thrown into the sea. This morning's worship set fits so good, and we didn't choreograph that. We didn't organize it that way. But God really ordained that you would be singing those songs, believing those words, and then listening to this message because God wants us to all be free. He created us to be free. We enslaved ourselves and he has paid the price for our freedom and brought us out if we'll let him amen so live in faith not in fear i really think that's a word for someone here today that you're facing something that is terrifying there's a goliath of some sort it's a relationship it's a uh, an issue with health it's some problem like that and i'm telling you today the word of god is telling you today to live by faith trust in god amen So David knew himself and he knew his God so well that he was able to say to Saul, no, I can do this. Not, not, I get you. You're saying I'm not able to do it. And I'm not just some young tyke. I am telling you, I've fought a bear. I've done this. I've done that. I'm telling you, God is on my team. I'm on his team. We're, we're on his team. Would you just send me out there? Just put me out there. Put me in the game, coach, is what he's getting at. So it's, it's difficult, or it can be very difficult to overcome others' view of you, but it is possible and it's necessary if we want emotional and spiritual health. One of our favorite books that Amy and I read to our girls is a, a, it's a storybook by Max Licato, who I think is a genius in the faith, um, he has written many things, devotionals and other things, but the name of this, this story or this book is called You Are Special. It involves, uh, of course, a fictional story. It's a village of wooden people called Wemmicks. So they look like little Pinocchios, you know, wooden puppet sort of things, but no strings. And they're walking around. Uh, they're going through their everyday life. They've been created by a woodcarver named Eli. And I want to share with you that story, albeit a children's story. It has so much power for our application today. So women spend every day of their life going to and from, doing all the things that we do, yet they have this little thing that they do. They take little gray dot stickers and they put it on anything they see that's ugly or unacceptable, that's dull, that doesn't look right, that they don't like. 
and they take these gold star stickers and everything that's pretty, everything that looks valuable to them, they put it on that Wemmick. And so it's common, which is really weird, but some of the Wemmicks would walk around and some would have some gold stars and some gray dull dots because depending on the perception of those who saw them, they would receive that reward, if you will. So one particularly gray dotted Wemmick who really kind of, he's, uh, he reminds me a little bit of Eeyore. His name is Punchinello. A uh, little Italian name is given to him, actually to many of the characters in there. The other character I'll mention, her name is Lucia. So Punchinello, he is walking around and people keep giving him gray dots and he's got scars and scratches and he's got all this stuff. And one day he meets this girl, Lucia. And it's not like an attraction, love at first sight kind of thing. He just notices that this Wemmick, this one Wemmick, has no gold stars and no gray dots. And he thinks, I wish I could be just like her, that when people put stuff on me that it wouldn't stick. I wish I could be just like her. And it wasn't that people didn't give her stars or dots. It's that when they put them on her, they immediately fell off. They didn't stick. Meanwhile, while Punchinello is trying to pull his dots off, it's not working. Whatever they try to do to try to clean the dots off doesn't work because they're stuck, and they're stuck for good, it seems. So he meets her, Lucia, and he says, Lucia, how is this possible that you have no stars and no dots? And she says, well, actually, it's kind of easy. He's like, really? (laughs) Why don't I know about this? Why doesn't everybody know about this? She says, this is what I do. I go and I see the woodcarver every day. I sit with him in his workshop and I talk with him. It's that easy? Really? Yeah, it's that easy. You know what? I think he's in his workshop right now. Go visit him in the workshop. So Punchinello with some trepidation goes up the hill, goes into the woodcarver's workshop. And when he gets inside of there, he meets Eli, who's the woodcarver. When he meets Eli, the woodcarver, they start this dialogue, this conversation that they go into. And in the midst of that, he finds out, the woodcarver tells him that the stickers only stick if you let them. And he's thinking in his, in his own mind, and his own self, well, I try not to let them, but they still stick. I mean, I don't, what's the magic in this? So this is what Eli says, you shouldn't let them stick either. Who are they, these other Wemmicks, to give stars or dots? They're Wemmicks just like you. All that matters is what I think of you, and I think you are pretty special. So when Punchinello asks him why he's special, Eli says something so simple but so profound. Because you're mine. That's why you're special. Because you're mine. You belong to me. As Punchinello leaves Eli's workshop in the story, he starts to kind of inside of himself internalize what's been said. And he's like, I wonder if he's, I think he really meant what he said. I think, I think he really thinks I'm special. And the minute he thought that, a gray dot falls off. And he's like, oh my goodness, this is awesome. Well, every time then he remembers what Eli said about his value and that he belongs to him, another dot would fall off. And every time other Wemmicks would come up to him and try to put a gold star or a gray dot, it wouldn't stick because now he had the understanding of the creator that he was valuable So all of the dots and all of the stars of others don't matter 
What other people's opinion of us doesn't matter. God's opinion of you is what matters. It really is what matters. And so we can experience that same freedom. And I know it's crazy, but I feel like a lot of us and a lot of people, a majority of people, walk around this life like Punchinello. Just subscribe to that belief and understanding that it's just, it is what it is, and I've got to live with this. Instead of understanding the freedom that can be found in Christ, where Christ puts on some awesome coding to us, that all of a sudden that stuff doesn't matter anymore. It falls right off. We have that same freedom, and we can share that freedom with others. We can be like Lucia in the story and be shouting the gospel, which is the good news, into the hearts and the dark places of the lives of people around us to be able to tell them that God has a plan and a purpose for you. He values you because you're his. Even if, even if you're not yet choosing to be his, you're still his. So put it into practice. I want to tell you today that you should think about what God thinks about you. Scripture declares that you are accepted, that you're accepted with all of your scars, with all of your trouble, with all of the stuff, you're accepted by God. God loves you unconditionally. It doesn't matter what you've done. That's why a serial killer can get saved. A rapist can get saved. I can get saved. A little kid can get saved who hasn't really experienced all that much evil or sin or wickedness. He can get saved. She can get saved. That's why the grace of God is available to all of us because it's not dependent upon what we did or didn't do. This is the gospel today. Amen? That's good news. He loves us unconditionally. He accepts us. He values us. He calls us his own. We're extremely valuable to him. And guess what? We are totally forgiven. Totally and completely forgiven. No matter where you stand on the scale of uh, theology, of Calvinism, Arminianism, predestined, not predestined, guess what? God's got it all covered. Amen? He's got it all covered. We've got to come to him. It's our responsibility to come to him. But he's got it all covered. The reason why is he's defeated the Goliaths of sin, of sickness, even of death. He's, he has done that work on our behalf. This is good today. This is good for us to be reminded. And it's also good for you to just share this with somebody else. Talk with somebody else. Explain the freedom that you have. Not, not in a, Lucia in the story was not in a preachy way, standing on a hillside, making sure everybody heard, but she told those who were in her circle when he approached her and he said, hey, how, how does this work? <laughs> she was able to tell him, this is how it worked for me. I think it pr- probably could work for you. It's the same thing with our relationship with God. So he had to overcome the obstacle of his family, of Saul, those who were others around him. And I want to tell you today, God wants you to be free from all of the bondage of those other opinions as well. He just wants you to know that you're his, and that's what matters to him. The third obstacle is this, Goliath himself. Look at verse 41 through 44. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David. And the man who bore the shield, this is the shield bearer for um, Goliath, went before Goliath. Verse 42 says, And when the Philistine looked, David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you've come to me with sticks? And... Should have added sticks and stones. Just kidding. Um, But the Philistine cursed David by his own gods. 
And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. So what a menacing enemy Goliath must have been, that he struck fear in almost everyone on the battlefield. He'd been taunting them for days, continuing to hurl insults and threats in their direction. And here is how David responds to him. Look in verse 45 to 47. Man, I tell you what, this confidence that exudes from David is, I'm envious of it. He was definitely deriving his strength from from his relationship with God. Look at verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you and take your head off. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the jokers behind you, <laughs> those Philistines. I'll give those carcasses to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. This is good stuff. David says, you've offended my God in approaching us. God's name is important to God. It's very important to God. And God is going to defend, and in fact, he's going to defeat you today because you have been defying the nation and the, the armies of Israel. So what obstacle are you facing? What Goliath are you facing what Goliath do you need to stare down in your own life and say, I know you're big, I know you're brawny, I know it seems insurmountable, I know it seems like I'm never going to get through this, but I come to you in the name of the Lord, the God of the army of heaven. I come to you in the name of the Lord and I say God is going to defeat you. We can say that about a sin in our life that we struggle with. We could say that about relationships that are just overwhelming us. We could say that about work issues that are Goliaths to us. We can say that about changes in our life and changes in our family. We can say this to those things because God says he wants to help us defeat Goliath. In fact, he's already defeated him. God's healed people of cancer. He can do it again. God's raised people from the dead. He can do that again. He does it still today. God can speak to someone who's never heard his name before. God can do anything because with God, all things are possible. So this is David's thought when he's approaching Goliath. I know that I look like a scrawny thing that can't do anything, but I'm coming to you in something, in the power and the strength and the might of something greater than you are, and that is God. You have that same ability to hold that same confidence. Is there something that, instilling, that is instilling fear in your life rather than faith? The great news is David is a type of, of Jesus. Jesus came to this earth, born of a virgin, born into a lowly stable, had an unassuming life. Looked like a scrawny little thing maybe to some people, like not really a threat at all. Even to the enemy of God, he was thinking, you know, when he's tempting Jesus in the wilderness, oh, I, I might can get him on this. I might can hook him on this. So he tried everything he could. 
Jesus is just like David. He looks unassuming, but yet he wins the victory. And that's because he's God. And he offers the same grace to you and I. Amen? So Christ, like David, came in weakness, unassuming maybe on the outside, but more powerful than anyone or anything else that has ever been. And he's won the victory for you. He's won the victory over the sin that you struggle with from time to time or maybe all the time. He's won the struggle over the bitterness that we might have talked about earlier or thought about earlier. He's won the victory in every area of life. The scripture says that Jesus, while he was on the earth in human form, even faced every temptation that we face, just like you and I have faced. He is more than a conqueror. Courage is something that David possessed. And it takes courage to go deep below the surface. You might be wondering while we're here, there seems to be a large structure over here. You might be wondering what I've been hiding underneath this. I'd like to show it to you as we close. I went to a neat little shop, which I had no idea existed in Jackson, Mississippi. And that neat little shop had something really incredible It had all of this scuba gear. Mike, will you help me get this on? Just pull that. It had all of this scuba gear. Thank you, sir. And um, I got a chance to talk to Miss Carla at Deep Scuba or Deep South Scuba over in Ridgeland. And I talked to her. She's a woman of faith. She believes in God. I talked to her and I said, hey, I've got this crazy idea. Could I borrow some scuba equipment? Uh, for our church. And she said, what are you talking about? (laughs) And I said, well, I said, I've got this illustration I want to give because we've been talking about the series of being below the surface, allowing God to go below the surface. So I asked her, I said, will you spend a few minutes with me? Will you tell me some stories about your time? She's a scuba instructor. She certifies other people. She's had all this experience. She's been doing it since 1993 or 1994. And so she let me borrow Fred. This is Fred right here, the little head, uh, with the snorkel gear, the um, wetsuit, which I told her I would like to wear during the service, but she said, no, um, it's really hot. And I said, I'm really hot natured. It's not going to work. But the point is this, all of this equipment, all of this tool, these tools are necessary for someone to go into the ocean below the surface very far. And what God has done in his grace and in his mercy, in his foreknowledge, in his knowing of us, he said, I've got the right equipment for you to go below the surface. He offers us two things, and I close with this. He offers us two pieces of equipment that are just like this scuba vest and tank. Those things are the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. The Holy Spirit to help us really see who we really truly are in God's presence. And the Word of God to illuminate our lives, to help us understand what we're to do, how we're to focus, how we're to move forward in God. I asked Miss Carla, I said, what some of the, is there any tragedy that you faced? Have you ever had a a really bad experience? She gave me a couple things which I thought I'd share with you. She said, you know, the worst thing that can happen is people go too fast in the process. They try to rush it. They try to come up for air really quick. They They get panicked. They've got something going on. They're stressed about something. Maybe their, you know, air tank is low or whatever. And they try to shoot up to the surface. Immediately pain sets in. 
I said, wow, I've been snorkeling but never scuba diving. I've seen some movies. I, I know that you can have some problems. She said, I'm telling you, they're debilitating problems. And I said, you know, I think that can probably transfer into our spiritual life. If we try to rush this process and say, God, yep, I'm done. Everything's gone. Everything's great. I'm healthy. Yes, this is awesome. But we don't allow him to keep examining and keep going below the surface to help the word of God or allow the word of God and the Holy Spirit to illuminate what's below the surface. Then we, we run the risk of not being completely healthy. She said, here's the thing. We have made a promise to everyone who we've ever helped that we will never quit on you you have to quit on us. I thought, man, that's just like the heavenly father. He says, there's nothing that you're going to do. She told me about getting people with physical handicaps in the water who challenged her in her skill because she saw how good they were doing. And she thought, I'm able-bodied and I'm not yet at the place that they are. And I thought, man, that's just like God. I'm not going to quit on you. You have to quit on me. (laughs) He wants to stick with you forever. And even when we do quit on him, he's still there drawing and longing to get us back. You do need the right equipment when you go below the surface. I want you to stand with me today. Think through the significance of this message today, the different Goliaths that we've talked about. And I just want you to ask the Holy Spirit just a simple prayer and pray this prayer today in your heart. You can pray it out loud with me. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? That's that's what we need to know today is, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me as an individual? Maybe there's a place in your heart that needs to be uncovered and illuminated. Maybe there's something you've been struggling with. Maybe there's bitterness. Maybe there's something else going on. The Holy Spirit can speak that to you this morning if you'll just let him speak to you. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today through this message? If you want to respond to the Holy Spirit today, just by slipping up your hand and saying, yes, this ministered to me, and it's not for pastor's benefit to see a hand raised, but it's for you to just acknowledge before God in a physical way, yes, Lord, I need you. Would you just slip up your hand all across this room? Say, God, I need you below the surface. I need you to help me with that thing I'm struggling with. Lord, you've seen these hands and you know these hearts, God. You can put your hands down this morning. Would you just offer up a a authentic prayer to God. Just whisper it to him today if you have to, but just speak it out and say, God, I need you. I need your help. I need your strength. I've got this Goliath I'm facing and I don't know how to overcome it. God, I pray in your magnificent grace that you today, Lord, would reach down to the depths of us, that you would go below our surface, that you would heal the broken places, God. Lord, that you would strengthen the weak places, that you would give confidence, Lord. Lord, I pray for boldness and confidence for us to live free of the dots and the stars that others try to put on us. God, I pray you would help your people today to be emotionally and spiritually healthy in a way they've never been before. Help us experience that freedom today. Help us to walk in it this week with the help of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.